Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Boy, shared history. There can only be one history. I disagree. I disagree too, because there are many facets and sides and lenses. Also, I'm very angry and a little okay with the fact that I didn't save this for one of our Scottish episodes. I I feel like I'm okay with it on behalf of the Scots. I was gonna say it's like in case they took offense. <laughs> yeah. That would have been like we needed to say like kilt every five seconds. Yeah, like, I mean, I already... a bagpipe. It's like it's too much. It's bad enough that we brought out uh, brought up Outlander it's, and David yeah. Tennant. Like, <laughs> I'm just, Natalie, I just want to say, and I know I think both of us were more worried about me, but neither of us attempted a Scottish brogue or accent in any sense. I'm very proud of us. And I think that... Deserve something, recognition, a Nobel Prize, something, because we both know that our levels of self-control when it comes to bad accent work, <laughs> bad accent work, being ridiculous, making a fool of ourselves for me is really, the threshold's very small, very low. So the especially, fact that I held back at all. Especially because throwing it back to our episode with Adam McNamara, he did slip in and out of i think it's because we were probably intimidated because he he just slipped in and out of like american accents and some of them were like valley girl american accents but they were still executed flawlessly and i just don't think i my ego could have handled trying to slip into a scottish brogue and it coming out like a russian accent because that's what would have happened i also feel like i don't know being anywhere in the world and attempting an american accent we're not going to be offended like oh you're desecrating our culture and our language whereas culture whereas like saying like a lottie like that would be like what the what the fuck are you doing yes stop no it's also (laughs) it's also the problem that we have where everything you and i do is deeply offensive just yeah it's just, it's frustrating because one of my best and dear friends, uh, Rebecca, who is one of our fans abroad in England, she went to college with me for a year. She studied abroad. Like every time we went out at least three times a night, some drunk guy or girl would come up and be like, you sound like you're from London. Like from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Every night without a doubt. That's rough. That's rough. And you hate being that guy. And anytime you hear like an accent, everyone likes to be like, I'm all can do the accent. Bad Dick Van Dyke. But yeah, I was saying, you're really Dick Van like, Dyking over there. I like genuinely am like, okay, but I'm also kind of a parrot and I'm practicing. Mm-hmm. But I just sound like an American asshole, which is going to be my self-debuted album. An Not American, American idiot, an American asshole. Don't want to be an American asshole. But that's not what this is about. It's not. It's not what this is about. Because 
Cass, I gave it to Cass to choose a theme for this episode because I had basically loosely themed a couple of our other ones. And I was like, Cass, why don't you choose a theme? And just generous, altruistic Cass. So caring and thoughtful. So Back to the Nobel Prize. And thoughtful. Threw it out at me and said, hey, how do you feel about the golden age of the Mediterranean? And I was like, I don't know, Cass. How do you think that I feel about it? <laughs> Given that you know it's one of my favorite time periods of history, which is say, which I can't say because it's such... T- I'll get into this later, but that's such a large <laughs> swath. Of t- like the golden age of the Mediterranean. I texted... Um, I. T- I text, take a drink. I texted Mr. Galanis, uh, Mr. Galanis, who who came on our our live episode, and I texted him to confirm what the years covered in the class I took in high school that was called the Golden Age of the Mediterranean. <laughs> I was like, "Can you remind me what we like what the swath of time was?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, 2000 BCE to 476 AD." And I'm like, cool, just a couple of years. <laughs> so I panicked this week. I was paralyzed with choice. I would like to um, enter into the court as evidence that I'm holding my notebook from the Golden <laughs> Age of the Mediterranean <laughs> course I took in high school, which I intended to use to to try and choose a topic. But right now it's not about me. It's about Cass because Cass is going to go first. Um, it's funny that you say generous altruistic Cass because when you were like, Hey Cass, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you for a theme if you want, if you have anything. And I was like, what could I do? What could I do? Something kind of like easy, you know, like wide swath of time or something I know would be very something we'd enjoy. And then in my mind I thought golden age of the Mediterranean, because I A just love that. And I laughed before I texted you because just the thought of it, that wasn't a gift to you, Natalie. I knew that that would cause you more pain and stress than anything. Cause you're like, first of all, you know what the time span is. You're like, fuck. Also, you would be like, and you pick the right thing and you do the right thing. It's also so- very difficult to like, if you didn't go into it, like already knowing what you wanted to talk about or like knowing a specific area that you wanted to talk about, like, it's an overwhelming amount of time in which so many things happened, a yeah. lot of which like I personally wouldn't wouldn't do for the podcast because I would be like, everyone knows that. When no, Natalie, not everybody took like four different classes that covered this period of time in their life. Yeah. And so I kept talking myself out of things being like, no, that's <laughs> common knowledge. Well, and so and so when I suggested it too, I was like, that does seem like a gimme of like, Maybe not everyone knows this because they're not all nerds like us, but in the in the canon of this is history that everyone talks about, this age is one of them. It's Western civilization. It's the dawn of white patriarchy and imperialism like, and expansion. It's like, it is the, everyone's like, oh, the foundation of democracy and all of these great ideas. It's the beginning of a bunch of old white guys being like, this is what you should do with your body and your land and we're going to do it for you. Yes. <laughs> but also great like mythology and like outfits and Ugh. dresses and stuff. Great and by dresses, outfits. I mean the stuff that men are wearing. And I picked it knowing that like, oh. I just wanted to cause you stress and anxiety for a week. <laughs> you you did it. Congratulations. 
also, I know a lot of like the big things. I'm interested in a lot of the common and obvious things. But I, I realize I don't know a whole lot about the, like, we know so much about it. There's got to be stuff we can find that are in the cracks, right? And we've been, ta- we've been talking a lot about like women and warfare. And I realized, like, I didn't realize for the longest time that that's something I'm really interested in. And I think it's because it's seeming, it's not a really unusual thing. It is just something that gets buried a lot or something that we don't talk about. And so I wanted to do that. And in a previous season, uh, we discovered something that I guess I realized I didn't super enjoy, but did not know to the extent that just truly traumatizes me. And that's fire when we talk about the triangle factory fire. And conversely, something we actually talked a lot about in that episode as well is my debilitating uncomfort and dis-ease with water. So what could I do better than naval warfare? <laughs> I thought I knew what you were going I I thought I knew I'm what not you burning were any do. libraries over here. I well, first of all, we're <laughs> always burning libraries. <laughs> Uh, libraries be burning libraries be burning is what they do best um <laughs> secondly when you said golden age of the mediterranean you started talking about women like warrior women i almost did a warrior woman from ancient greece and i chose not to because i was like oh but i just did at the time of recording this i just did lady true and so i yeah. was like it's a little it's a little too close but there's one on my list for the future so i will laugh if she comes up but i don't think she was did naval warfare so we'll see we'll see yeah it's probably not her then but i did i did um because we were doing we said golden age of the mediterranean and i i decided i was like i wanted to do women in warfare so i i did just do like a women in warfare and you know just to start from a get some listicles get some whatever and there's a wikipedia page of just women in ancient warfare and i got uh, on the list was Fu Hao, who we talked about. There was Lady Lady Zhu. Um, and I was like, we've already talked about all of these women because they're amazing. I bet you the Amazons of Dahomey were on there as well. <gasps> oh, um, no. Unless they're not considered ancient. Yeah, they were not on that list because they were in the 1800s or 1700s. You're right. Natalie, that's not ancient. Everything's ancient. My bones I are ancient. I a number. My bones I'm- are ancient. Oh, very proud of you thank you all right take me to the water we're go we're going to the water um i'm gonna tell you about artemisia the first of caria 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 do you know who she is i don't and i'm so excited okay artemisia the first of caria i'm emphasizing the first because there is an artemisia the second of caria this isn't about her well it's not about her but i'm going to talk about her because it's fun um i think it's like her it's related to her it's like her great great granddaughter or clearly the second of her but it was interesting because artemisia the second of caria was also a woman of whore, uh, her husband died, she became regent, and she had to do battle with someone or or she had something to do with something in war, you know, where like typically a woman wouldn't, a woman, re- a female regent would not be doing this. 
Um, she had to do it because her husband was dead and her son was too young. So she's like, yeah, let's fight. But what's interesting is that when her husband died, some historian, I can't remember who it was, it, it was a contemporary, not Herodotus, but someone, many people talked about her grief, the, the extent to which she grieved and her devotion to her husband, to the extent that she poured some of his ashes in a cup and like drank it. It was like, y'all remember when Prince Albert died and Queen Victoria was like, I'm gonna wear black for 40 years. And, and then like- And also made mourning jewelry. What were they, what were they called? The um, eyes and stuff? Oh, uh, those like, they're called eye miniatures or figurative jewelry. And- like she took it to a whole nother level. Like everything she mil- built or made afterwards was like Albert Hall, Albert this, Albert that. That's great. I'm glad you love Don't it. ever doubt that she loved her husband. Yeah. And like hearing about all that, I was like, that's so beautiful. I love that. But also girl, like, damn, that's a lot. Do less. <laughs> This bitch took it to an extreme, Artemisia II. Like, she was obsessed. She was so devastated. Everything was like, I'm drinking his ashes. Everything is a tribute. Everything is a whatever. His name was Mausoleus. Mausolean? And she lived in Halicarnassus, which was a Greek city-state in what is modern-day Turkey. At the time, it was Anatolia. And it was a it was a very large uh, metropolis. It was a big deal, Halicarnassus. So they had like lots of funds and whatnot. And she built this like intense tomb, the mausoleum of Halicarnassus, which is one of the seven wonders. The term mausoleum was named. Like, we call mausoleums mausoleums because of this dude, because of this chick who made this thing for this dude who was her husband. And that's etymology. Etymology, which we also talk about in the Library Wars episode. Because Remember? words be coming from ancient times. Yeah, because they would build these, they were museums, mausoleums, like, they were they were connected at the time. Mm-hmm. The, like, the uh, intellectualism as well as the like the afterlife and the death and all that stuff was connected, mausoleum, uh, museum, all that stuff. And I'm like, Artemisia II of of Caria, it's not about you, but damn, if you don't bring it all together. So I got to give you that. But anyway. (laughs) But we're going to go back further in time. Tick, 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 Back to A1, Artemisia I. She was a queen of Halicarnassus, and, and a few islands nearby, so Kos, Niseros, Kalimnos. And so her father was like a, a mayor or a kingish. It's so confusing with the Greek city-states because yeah. they're not kingdoms, but it, you're not like the mayor. You're like this weird governor, king, mm-hmm. like kind of royalty, but kind of just like, you know, Rudy Giuliani bullshit of like I'm I'm taking more credit than what I'm doing and saying it's you know all really big. Um, I don't know why I went spot to Rudy on, Giuliani. Spot on Rudy Giuliani impression. Though. I don't know. I, think, I just I feel think like all his... of our fans in uh, in New York would agree. Spot I just feel like on. he was the mayor of New York, but just like really, I don't know. Any chance he got to mention 9/11 and he made it like that was my whole. I did all of that. 
Everything was mine. I'm running. I helped everything. I'm like, all right, Rudy, you put on an I Love New York hat for a while there. And that was I beat, it. I beat terrorism myself. It was me. Goodness. Anyway, so she was queen in 480 BCE. BCE. I'm trying to be a BCE CE girl. Before the Common Era. At this time, we're in Greco-Persian Wars. The backstory of that is Greco and Persia didn't like each other and they're fighting. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, Persia was, um, it was, uh, when we think of like consolidating Persia, we think of like modern day Iran, but the Persian Empire was like all of Central and Western Asia, parts of Eastern Asia, part of Europe, parts of Northern mm-hmm. Africa. Like at times it was. Can I? As, yeah. Can I appeal to uh, a base pop culture knowledge of of perhaps our listeners? If you mm-hmm. have never heard of the Greco-Persian Wars before, let me tell you that you have. The Battle of Thermopylae was part of the Greco-Persian Wars. Natalie, what's the Battle of Thermopylae? Did you see that movie 300? Have you read the comic books 300? Like, I'm not saying it was accurate. I'm just saying that that is... That so, is... I'm about to tell you about... <laughs> I'm not about to tell you about the Battle of Thermopylae, but I'm about to tell you about the Battle of Thermopylae. Great. Because that so, was because Xerxes was a Persian emperor. Yes. So just... so Artemis the first, uh, she was a queen of Halicarnassus, but she also was a naval general. And even though Anatolia Halicarnassus was Greek, mm-hmm. she sided with the Persians. This was the second Persian Scandal. invasion in the and, and a lot of a lot of them were. So Persia like started Darius the first Darius the great was like the beginning of the Persian empire as like a yo we're awesome beginning of a dynasty this is like 91 bulls right Michael's a baby and he's like what up we're getting championships before Pippin gets in here I don't know maybe Pippin was with there but very beginning and then um the Persian Empire grows and grows and grows, and they're just at odds with Greece, which Greece was seemingly very, very easy to overpower because Greece was not a country. Greece was not a united place. When you hear people say Greek city-states, it means all of these people were, I don't know, ethnically Greece, ethnically Greek, but if you think of Athens versus Sparta, those are essentially two different kingdoms mm-hmm. within Greece, the landmass, I don't Very know. Very different philosophies and yes. like governing systems and... Yeah. Sparta and Athens were both Greek. They were their own kingdoms though. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, it was tribal almost. But so they're like, those weren't the only two. There were a shit ton. And since they were all separate they were easy they were constantly at war with each other and so it was so easy to come in there and be like hey we're at war with all of greece but like we're gonna make greece do most of the work and fight against each other or have difficulty organizing so persia came in and i don't know if this was xerxes so xerxes was the 
quote, king of kings, which is what he called himself at the time of... King of kings. (laughs) What the fuck was that? I don't know. It's from some hymn. (laughs) (laughs) Or like some Christmas song that was just like logged in the back of my head. Um, uh, My girlfriend wants to start a Catholic dating app called Taste and See. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up and take my money. And I'm so mad at her that she thought of that before I did. Um, anyway, so what, what year are we again? So we're in 480. Yeah, this is this um, is pre Xerxes. Yeah, no, Xerxes the first. I forgot how BCE Four, times sorry, 4, 480 BCE. I keep switching back and forth. Well, I also forgot the, the way that the, the, the time counts down instead of up. Yeah, we're we're, we're, in, we're in Xerxes one. We're, we're here. in um, um, American sports time where we count down. We're not in European yeah, yeah. sports time where Honestly, we're counting up. We're not going into stoppage time here. <laughs> thank you. That's a great way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Our numbers are getting smaller. Well, they get bigger. Um, so Xerxes the first was the... The ruler, the leader of Persia when Artemis I was going going on. And he took over for his father. And he, he went to all the different city-states and he demanded earth and water, which was basically, I think they've mentioned that in the movie 300. Here's a cup of water and let me throw some soil at you. But it was symbolic of we are giving up our land and everything in it, its resources, just the very essence of ourselves our land and our water we own nothing you have everything we completely surrender to you it was symbolic he didn't do that to athens and he didn't do that to sparta intentionally to begin with because he's like they gonna get angry and they're going to rally and let's pick off the smaller places get them scared and on our side so that when athens and sparta rebel they're on their own and they hate each other anyway but so Artemis was on Xerxes' side. She was on the Persian side. And if you think of where Halicarnassus is and where Anatolia is, it's modern-day Turkey. And, and, and that Turkey, the country of Turkey, for a long time was just called Asia Minor. Like that little nubbin leading into... That's in the Mediterranean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it does just look like a little nubbin. It's popped in there. And so that's like closer to like western asia it's not really on the greek peninsula as much so it made more it made sense that they they kind of leaned persia so xerxes is crushing it literally greece is at war well, they're at war with greece but greece is just like their own worst enemy they're in fighting while also trying to like fight each other if you think of like the iliad with all the different greek groups coming together to fight troy like that worst novel, that ode, epic, mm-hmm. was 10 years long because they fucking fighting with each other the whole time. Yeah. So Persia used that to its advantage. While it's doing that, it's also invading Egypt. It's invading um, parts of like Italy, Brittany, like all that stuff. Maybe not Brittany. Greece is on its heels. The Battle of Marathon takes place and, and they just do a mass evacuation. They're like, get all the women and children out of here just push everyone back to athens athens is evacuating it's just being plundered it's being destroyed all of greece all the greek city states 
a lot of them have already aligned with Persia as well, including Artemis first. So then we get to Marathon, which they get destroyed. Uh, we get to the Battle of Thermopylae, which is now we're in all of these like tiny inlets of Greece. So Battle of Thermopylae, if you've seen 300, there's like this huge mass horde of Persians trying to get through this tiny little land pass. And militaristically speaking, it was kind of perfect for the Greeks because all they had to do was block this tiny little path. doesn't matter how many Persians you have, only so many can fight them at once. So they're getting mm-hmm. funneled into this spot that the Spartans are able to hold off for long enough. They end up getting defeated, but they're able to hold it. Hey, Nat, can we make this quick? I have to go check on my sponge. Your sponge? Ugh, you've been binging Bake Off again, haven't you? Four words. Paul Hollywood Soggy Bottom. Okay, well, when you're done with Amateur Hour, the adults will be over here ordering cakes from the pros at ECBG Cake Studio. Because they make specialty cakes for all occasions. We're talking custom birthday cakes. We're talking jaw-dropping wedding cake masterpieces. We're talking Paul Hollywood just shook my hand, I deserve a cake cakes. ECBG Cake Studio, you said? Yes, and if you insist on trying to perfect your sponge, they also offer online baking classes. So follow at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or visit their website, ecbgstudio.com. At the same time as the Battle of Thermopylae, the Battle of Salamis is going on. Salamis is a naval battle. This is considered today one of the most significant naval battles of all time because this secured what is now Western civilization. If this battle didn't take place and Greece fell, all of the Persian and the Eastern influence would have pushed west. So, of course, if east came over here, then western civilization couldn't continue. It would have been horrible, right? Because we did such a great job anyway. But the Battle of Salamis was, was pretty similar. This huge Persian navy was trying to get through this very narrow inlet. And the weird thing is Persia had essentially won. Greece was falling... It was literally just retreat, retreat, retreat until they couldn't. They're just going from city to city further away from Persia. Armies are decimated. Their peoples are decimated. Their storage and stockpilings is gone. Like they're just waiting to finish it off. Mm -hmm. And Xerxes is going into the Battle of Salamis. And he's like, cool, let's just finish him off this naval battle. All of his generals are like, Yeah, cool, do it. We've got a shit ton of boats. Artemisia is like, hey, yeah, you could do that, but Greece is a naval country. Like, that is their thing. They do Navy. Mm -hmm. We are a land people. (laughs) We have a Navy. We got a lot of people, but they can just outmaneuver us. They're just better at this. Also, if you wait, like, a couple months... They're going to literally, literally just die out anyway. So why, even if it's a small victory, give them that kind of extra jolt of adrenaline, of energy? Just sit. Just sit on it. You're fine. You won this thing. And Artemisia, it says she had five ships within this giant navy um, that she, she contributed to the Persian navy. 
and that of all of the generals of all whatever, her regiment was second only to Sardis, I believe. Some, I don't know, some other guy. Like they were the best fleet. She led them with the best uh, ingenuity. She was the bravest, the smartest, the most fearsome. The Greek army said that they would pay like, like an obscene amount, like money I'm sure they did not have if anyone could capture her alive because being beat by a woman was so shameful to them. I don't know, y'all, you're about to lose fucking everything. Get off your dick and stop worrying about the fact that it's a chick. Like, I'm sorry. Just fuck off. <laughs> I mean, but during that time, like, it was patriarchal and, and women were women women were for making babies. Yeah. Well, and and even even the Persian Empire and Xerxes, like, he held her in such high regard and esteem and during the battle of salamis like it said that he was perched at like the base of this mountain so that he could watch the whole battle because at some battle that they lost previously he wasn't there and he's like well they lost because i wasn't watching them so they weren't doing their best so he's like i just want to like watch from my throne all of this go down because I know if they know I'm watching, like, Santa Claus effect, you they're going to be better. You do better work when you're under supervision. Everyone mm-hmm. knows that. Yeah. Um, That's but management as- 101. <gasps> Thank you. Breathe down everyone's necks. <laughs> uh, so Herodotus um, wrote a lot of, he wrote a lot about um, the Greco-Persian Wars about this war specifically, he was from Halicarnassus. And so even though Herodotus was like pro-Greek and Artemisia was like pro-Persia, Herodotus was so pro-Artemisia. Like he was like, this bitch was awesome. She was the best. Like even though she was on the other side, like God King Xerxes was like, this bitch is dope. Like he's like sung very high praises of her. And so in his histories, he wrote that Xerxes and I believe there are quotes from like other people of just this was constantly said Xerxes was like from watching her her battle it's like the men are made of women and the women are made of men like basically like this bitch acts like a dude and all these other guys are acting like little little weak females I was like uh, or like uh, maybe just the execution is the I the fact that the fact that calling someone a woman is yes. such a burn and that calling a, a woman a man is such high praise is like it's like the respect is there but oh the, the execution <laughs> also if like if that's the case then it's not it's just that men are the weaker sex yeah like if you have to switch both of them i don't know like the math there doesn't add up or we i don't know That was annoying. Anyway, so Xerxes wants to just end this battle at Salamis at sea. He's just like, destroy destroy the the Greeks. And all of his generals like, yeah, you're so cool. And like, we're so great. And we're already winning. You should do that. Artemisia is like, maybe don't. um, Because they're good at Navy. And because we are all going to get funneled. And with with no room, we're just going to get disorganized. And they're going to be able to pick us off. What if we just post up around the corner in Peloponnesia and just like wait it out? And it's weird because Xerxes is like, 
that's so smart. Like, I love that idea. I hold you in such high regard. Like, he's so complimentary of like her suggestion. But then he's like, but we're going to do the other thing, though. Like, like in, in every historical text, regardless of of the writer, just cannot say enough how much Xerxes praises Artemisia. But it's like, but like, I want to go, I want to go boom, boom. Yeah. I want to go in there and like stab some shit. So, uh, so he does, he goes and he boom, booms and he stabs some shit. And it's one of the most insane upsets of all time. The Greeks destroy the Persian Navy. They have to, I don't even think they retreat. I think they just get their ass kicked. Artemisia is like, per my last email. As per my last email. This is a this is a bad idea. Like I'm not gonna say I told you so, but I'm definitely going to say I told you so. But also, Artemisia was like kind of a badass because she's on the ship. You know, she's not doing that. Like, oh hey, here's my tribute. Here's like I've got really good fighters, and I'm gonna send them to you. Like I'm on the ship. Also, bitch was like, I'm not, I'm not fucking around. I'm cunning. So she had. Persian standards, Persian flags, and Greek standards, Greek flags. If she was chasing down a Greek ship, she was raising her Persian standards. Hey, we're a Persian ship. We're fighting you. If she was like cordoned off and like didn't have backup and is being chased by a Greek ship, she would raise her Greek standards. So they're like, oh, oh, she's Greek. Uh, no, no, she's cool. She, or that ship's cool. Like, let's leave them alone. Let's go fight these Persians over here. Also, they didn't know... It was her. It was a woman that it was because they said, if you know that it's Artemisia, like bring her back. We will give you like a thousand tenant or talents or, you know, denarii or whatever the big money was back then, like an obscene amount of money just to bring this woman back alive. So in the Battle of Salamis, apparently one of the other generals from a different city state, like they weren't super cool. He did some shitty stuff. She maybe said some shitty stuff. It just wasn't like, I don't know. There was just tension. So she's getting chased by a Greek ship. She lowers her Persian flags, raises her Greek standards, and rams into a Persian ship of the general that she was not super cool with. The ship goes down. They all die. And they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're Greek. They just killed a Persian ship. And she's like, yeah, totally. (laughs) I love this so much. And then just like, whoop, turn back around, put the put the Persian flags up and catch. She's just switching jerseys. She's just like running. Switching teams, switching teams. She's just like running, running back and forth, going offside, switching jerseys. But Athens hates Persia. Sparta hates Persia. But there were some Greek city-states that, like, they would say, we can't trust them. They might defect. They might be on Persia's side. They might be looking out for themselves. Mm-hmm. We know these guys are on our team right now, but we're not going to give them all the info or just be prepared for them to bail. During that battle, during a lot of the battles, actually, the reason why, like, whether the Greek or Persian standards were up, seeing a ship, a Persian ship, take out another Persian ship, they're like, they probably see that the, no pun intended, the tides are turning and they're defecting, you know, and they're like, oh, no, wait, we want to be on the Greek side. Go fuck the Persians. So, like, at any time, people are just switching teams. So if you're literally sinking a ship, you're like, 
we don't got a time to fuck with it and like check on them. They're clearly on our side. But yeah, they 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 lost Persia lost the battle and they retreated. But obviously, like she was right. Xerxes saw that and he respected her her opinion at the time. And then after everything, he was like, okay, well, he was right. Oopsies. And, and and that was literally that that changed everything because in tandem with the Battle of Thermopylae, like, yes, the Trojans or the Spartans lost. Clearly, they all died. They were routed, but they stopped the Persians long enough. Mm-hmm. And it was literally the same thing, but on water at Salamis, um, except that the Greeks won in that instance. But it was a seemingly small battle. We're not going to win the war with this one battle, but being able to defeat that large of an army and it saved them enough time and enough, all of that. It changed everything. So uh, Xerxes was going to like keep going with Greece, um, but he was also dealing with uh, a rebellion in Egypt. And he's like, Greece is a fucking lost cause. They're in shambles anyway, whether I take this over or not. He had sacked Athens, which was his goal. Like, he kind of had beef with Athens because a lot of people did because Athens was kind of shitty. They was khaki. And so he asked Artemisia, he's like, what should I do? Should I hang out here and keep fighting Greece? Or should I leave one of my lead generals here and I'll go back to Asia and do other stuff. She said, leave him here. Give him whatever he wants. He ends up giving him 300,000 Persians in an army. She says, leave him here. If he can take care of Greece, then that's awesome for you. If he loses, no skin off your back. And at the end of the day, you did what you came to accomplish. You sacked Athens. You burned it to the ground. You still have literally the rest of the world. Yeah. So he did that. Um, He took her advice and he went back to Asia Minor. He regrouped. He continued. It was still a Persian empire. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like they were running on their heels. They were just like, Greece is a fucking headache. Yeah. And I think the general he left there, I mean, he fucked shit up for a while, but I don't think he ended up like, I think he ended up having a retreat anyway. Herodotus, who was a Greek, he was pro-Greek said amazing things about her like he loved her he thought she was a badass a lot of people some historians uh just referred to as like a common pirate like she was just kind of pillaging and not super impressive but being squirrely and doing her own thing taking down anyone no matter if it was her side or not just to keep alive which hey do what you got to do but a lot of that is seemingly because she was a woman too yeah. You know, well, which is interesting that Herodotus was on the other side. And I don't know if it was just like, like Cass with Des Moines pride, you know, I'm like, yeah, she was like evil, but she's from Des Moines. So you got to give her credit. Um, I don't know if it was one of those kinds of things. Or, I mean, you can just have general, genuine admiration for someone who's good at what they do, regardless of what they do. Well, and I wonder if like piracy, if like p- pirate was kind of was more of like a derogatory term, like then because like during that time pirates weren't like pirates weren't like lawless lunatics or anything like they're not like the swashbuckling chaos it's not pirates of the of. caribbean over no. here no the well the pirates so the pirates of the mediterranean <laughs> <laughs> uh were more often like um 
employed by the government. Yeah. So it was like more along uh like they like the government like and the economy relied on the pirates. Uh so they were they're more of like a they were guard hi- than anything, right? Yeah, they were well and and slave runners. Uh well, but they were yeah. hired they were hired by the government and by like wealthy folks to like run errands basically to like run like high risk maybe uh questionably of questionable legal standing uh errands which yeah. from polis to polis the laws were different anyway yeah. um so yeah it was so i wonder I, I wonder if in the context of people back then being like oh she was just like an average pirate like if that was yeah. a dig or not knowing that well and and also i think it was it was it Phrygia and the Phoenicians? Like that's where boat travel began back mm-hmm. in way before all of this, way before the golden age of the Mediterranean. Like yeah. boat shit started in Phoenicia, which was in the Mediterranean, which is in, you know, kind of the Greekish area. That evolved around Greece. Like Greece was known for being boatmen, being explorers being you know having a navy like their economy their Mm -hmm. um their army their everything was built around seafaring so well when you're surrounded by a lot of sea yeah oh i mean it's it's like britain britain's a fucking island their navy did all their work for them and then so it doesn't matter if you have a bajillion boats or or men on land if that's not your area of expertise, then yes, you're going to be at a disadvantage. And Persia, yes, part of that, you know, touches uh, seas, touches Mediterranean, whatnot, but they're primarily landmass, you know? They have a vast and expansive army, but as soon as you get on water, you're going to be at a disadvantage no matter what because they have... That's their playground. That's their playground. Centuries. It's their playground. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I just opened, I just cracked open my notebook, my Golden Age of the Mediterranean notebook uh, from, I would guess that this is like, I took it in 2006, 2000, no, 2006, 2007, I probably took this class. Um, and I don't know what it says about, about this class that my first page of notes are n- notes on the movie Troy and like the historical inaccuracies and historical accuracies of the movie Troy. Yes. <laughs> but I was like, that's confusing that that's where we, I don't know why that's where we started, uh, considering we should have started with the Minoans. <laughs> um, oh, also, I just need to say back to Persia being on land. Anytime I hear about that or Hannibal or whatever, all I can ever think of is a quote from Princess Bride, which I had to look up to get it right, when Vicini says, you've fallen for one of the two classic blunders, the first being never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly lesser known, never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. (laughs) Never go into a land war in Asia. I feel like I say that a lot anytime people are talking about, I don't know, history or napoleon or whatever and no one gets it but i no. also probably don't say the quote right um do anyway. you want to hear something absolutely wild yes. so i just oh. cracked open this notebook yes uh and i'm i'm just flipping pages and i literally just found artemisia fuck off was it one or two was it one or two it's got to be one because it's i'm talking about okay this is this is me reading my high school notebook <laughs> allowed to you okay so we're at the persian wars 
uh, is what it says at the top of the page. I clearly was taking notes on like goals for the section of like identify causes and consequences. Who fought? Who won? Impacts? Um, <clears throat> the 300 Spartans. Every Athenian ship will be under Spartan command, but not really. Uh, Artemis, and then I have listed Artemisia, Leonisus, uh, Mardonius, uh, Demarades, uh, who is the exiled king of Sparta, and Xerxes as like key players. And Artemisia is says Artemisia, Greek spy. So in my class, she was colored as a spy, Greek spy, uh, queen of the of the Halicarnassus, Asia Minor coast is what I wrote mm-hmm. about about her and then i don't think i have any other notes because then also, i go into a bunch of stuff on leonidas and xerxes yeah well also since we're using um 300 as the basis of our historical content here uh, the sequel 300 rise of an empire ava green plays artemisia the first and she's kind of like her and xerxes are the main bad guys in that movie so she's like the main antagonist in that movie well, and then if you want to go watch some historical inaccuracies, oof. but with Artemisia at the forefront, a big a big woof on the historical inaccuracies. <laughs> um, but you flip just a couple pages later, and I get to the battle of of what did we say the battle was? Salamis. 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 The battle of salamis. <laughs> I love a good battle of salamis. Uh, and and it has like the results of the battle of of uh, Salamis in here. Of like Themistocles being exiled to Persia and 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 uh, yes, I love that this is in here. I'd also like to just state for the record that nobody cares about that my handwriting changes three million times throughout the course of this notebook. And what I'm <laughs> actually looking for that I can't find and it's making me sad as you hear the foley the foley of me flipping pages. What I'm looking for is I used to keep. I know that I did in this class. I used to take um, like quote journal notes. And I know that some of my notes are written as direct quotes of like random shit that Mr. Galanis said while teaching this class. But I can't find any because I used to like in the have like a page in the back of my notebook with just like the most like bonkers, bonkers. I I, I flipped through this on in our Instagram story a couple weeks ago and like flipped through some of my notebooks and there's like red random quote things that I found but I can't find any any bonkers bananas quotes I was going also you've mentioned Mr. Galanis a few times and if everyone playing at home is still playing Natalie's mentioned a high school teacher so you all need to drink I don't know I don't know how much you have to drink for me literally flipping through notes from a class from high school but maybe a whole bottle uh something I I now I have so many regrets, Cass, because I was going to, as I said, I thought about doing a woman warrior and it would have been great. She would have come in right after this. Uh, I was going to do, I think it's pronounced Kynane. I feel like I looked up a, I was going wait, wait, to. Tell the, me a little bit about her because she might have been on my list. Um, it's C-Y-N-A-N-E. She's a half sister of, Ale- of Alexander the Great. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, uh, because Change I... Change it, do her. I, I didn't do any research. I would just be reading you Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she would have come in like right after this and the time... Also, she was an Illyrian princess, which means I could have sung, Welcome to Illyria. Illyria. Welcome, 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 welcome to Illyria. I didn't do it because when we were talking about doing the theme, you also pointed out that I've done like a couple ancient topics semi-recently 
And so we also discussed um, that I could do golden age of the Mediterranean, or I could just do a golden age, or I could just do the Mediterranean. Uh, I do you left it very open. As if golden age of the Mediterranean wasn't already very open, we opened it further. We cranked that speculum of history. Did you say climbed the speculum? Cranked the speculum of history. Oh, oh, oh it's worse. Oh. <laughs> but also, I love it so much. Um, I want to talk briefly <laughs> about the golden age of Athens because I was going to talk about that. And then I was like, but this is the stuff that you, everyone knows. So like I said at the beginning of the episode, um, the golden age of Athens is it, like when everything that anyone has ever heard of in ancient Greece <laughs> happened. Uh, yeah. Not to blow any more smoke up of Athens ass. They don't need it. They were very cocky. But there's like the golden age of the Mediterranean. And then there's a golden age of Athens, which is like a golden age inside a golden age. It's like a, a nesting doll of golden ages. <laughs> and uh, the golden age of Athens is is 5th century CE, BCE as Athens. So it's under, it's Periclean Athens. Mm. We're under the rule of Pericles. And it's considered the golden age because like... All the advancements in government, like this is when the assembly of the people, like the first like democracy came to be. Um, you say with such an eye roll. Well, because it's like this, it, like so, so like an illegal amount of things happened during this <laughs> period, which is why it's considered a golden age. Like yeah. all of the art that you can think of, like if you think of like an old Greek bust of a dude, like you're thinking of the bust of Pericles. Yeah. Uh, philosophy drama literature the military victory over the persians which the athenians mm. of course were going to take credit for um the pericles essentially moves greece's like bank basically the delian league to athens because they were like delos isn't secure enough so like you can keep all of your money in athens all of entire region that feels um, very much like that's gonna be the next hamilton rap musical <laughs> The dealing Pericles in the bank and the daily. Yeah. Um, all about banking. The 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 quote unquote invention of like Greek drama and tragedy. So like, uh, okay, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, like Asilas, uh, Sophocles, Euripides, like all these peeps be jamming all the in deep. the golden age of the Mediterranean. Our old pal Socrates in philosophy. <laughs> um, the, the f f fucking. Like Hippocrates, like of you know Hippocratic oath fame, is this period. The architects of the Heckin Parthenon are this period. Truly, everything you know or recognize about ancient Greece as like an average human being, right down to like to, to the end of Ath of the Golden Age of Athens, which is your classic. Athens versus Sparta rival rivalry coming back again. Like that old song and dance. I tell you this just to further illustrate that one, yes, I do love this time period, but also I love this time period, you jerk, Cass. I was paralyzed with choice. It was <laughs> so rude. I felt like I was being baited, but I didn't know into what. So <laughs> so I decided to bait myself into a something Ooh. completely different. <laughs> uh, I decided to leave the time period altogether because 
I went for just Mediterranean because I couldn't, I couldn't choose. I got really anxious and sweaty. I knew, you know what you were doing. I knew how much chaos I was putting on you, how much pain, sweat, anxiety. And that's why I laughed or <laughs> I texted you. I, for a second, I was like, I shouldn't do it. I'm glad that you did because what I was trying to think of is I was trying to think of things that I've referenced in other episodes that tie back to the golden age of the Mediterranean. And so instead I was like, you know what happened in the Mediterranean, not in the golden age, because we are well out, like we're into CE for sure. But that like I've mentioned a lot and happens in the Mediterranean and isn't necessarily like a larger topic that I would talk about because they get enough press. <sighs> Instead of the golden age of the Mediterranean, I went for a gold standard for debauchery in the Mediterranean, perhaps. <laughs> Better title. Because the thing that I thought of that I've mentioned a lot that I haven't done yet and is connected to the Mediterranean is the Ballad of the Chestnuts. <gasps> you talked about this like beginning of season one. And, and I don't know what it is other than the fact that like... Your teacher wouldn't give you the book for it or it was inappropriate. It's inappropriate. And I love that I learned about it in high school in passing. And I love that now I know that the source that I, that, that, that uh, my teacher read from, like read an excerpt from is considered like the most salacious uh, account of it. Um, <laughs> which just, uh, it makes me so happy. And I have that book next to me as well. We'll get there. So we're nowhere near the golden age of the Mediterranean. <laughs> I'm sorry, not sorry. We are in uh, 1500s, 16th century, right? That's how those numbers work? Yeah. Um, no. 16th century. So 21st century was the 2000s. No, it's 14th century. We go backwards one. I Okay, fine. We're in the 1500s. We're in the 1500s. <laughs> Keep it simple, Natalie. Um, I originally learned about this in AP Euro, not in Golden Age of the Mediterranean, because the Golden Age of the Mediterranean is done. Uh, but here we are, at long last, your invitation has arrived. This is your invitation to attend the ballet, the ballet of chestnuts, also known as the banquet of chestnuts. The papal orgy I have often mentioned in passing. We said we are going to do a Pimple Orgy episode. Here's your invitation. I extend to you. <laughs> it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't say on the package that it's an orgy. The invitation is a little bit more, Just a little more discreet. Just wear a mask. <laughs> yeah. Some real eyes wide shut shit. Uh, here's your invitation. You are invited on the evening of October 30th, 1501 to attend a fete. It's a fete, baby. Uh, what is a fete? Do you know what a fete is, Cass? F-E-T-E. It's a party. It is a, yeah, a gathering. A, a small kind of intimate gathering. Literally, I think the French word for party. Uh, that's yeah. how I know it. Uh, historically speaking, fetes are elaborate parties or elaborate festivals. Very extra. We spare no expense. This is a this is a fete for Pope Alexander the... N Wait. N sixth. <laughs> I forgot nine. how Roman numerals worked for a second, and I'm embarrassed about Either it. Either nine or six, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Uh, I was like, what's a V? Um, that's embarrassing, because I know my Roman numerals. Uh, thanks, Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're invited. Please attend this fete 
on October 30th, 1501, in honor of our friend and, and my father, Pope Alexander VI. We will have a sumptuous Your father. feast. Oh, yes. Pope Alexander VI had five children, I think. Wait, uh, his kid was hosting this? Y- yes, it was It was arranged by. You're speaking as Pope's I'm kid. I'm sending you an invitation. Got it. Okay. I get it now. I understand the character you're playing. I was confused. Fanny Pemberton, continue. <laughs> we will have, it'll be a lavish affair. We'll have a sumptuous feast. Uh, there will be chestnuts. RSVP regrets only. <laughs> so yes, it was arranged by his son. It was arranged by, his son is a cardinal. So it was arranged by Cardinal Cesar Borgia. Uh, <gasps> oh, this is the Borgias? Yeah, baby. Okay. I've seen- It makes so much more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, I thought the pervy Borgia Pope was an Alexander, but no, that's, I thought he's- mm-hmm. I think I may have seen this episode on Borgia. Borgia? <laughs> I think it was probably just called- Battle of Chestnuts. It was. Uh, but they took like they took a point of view on it. So come to this party at my quaint apostolic palace. You know, there's only a thousand plus rooms. It'll be a very quaint party. <laughs> so imagine this. You show up to this fete. You're dining. You're drinking. You're having a great time. It's getting late into the night. But do you go home? No, no, no. You keep nibbling the final courses of your meal while five beautiful women are dancing for your entertainment. But as the last course is served and the tables are cleared, the candelabras are moved to the floor and the 50 dancers, who are not just pretty ladies, they're, quote, honest prostitutes or courtesans, re-enter the chamber naked. (gasps) You know, I love a story with a lot of asterisks. Oh, there are very few eyewitness accounts and the most quote unquote reliable account of this. And he probably wasn't there. And also some historians are like, this doesn't really read like his handwriting. It reads like he like outsourced writing this particular account to someone else. Maybe the person he outsourced it to was there. Um, But the master of ceremonies, uh, Johannes Bouchard, and I'm assuming that that's how you pronounce it, even though we're in Rome. Um, he was like the official uh, author of the official record of all significant papal ceremonies. So like embassy visits, official Something visits. tells me papal don't want this written down in official records. It's in there. Uh, <laughs> like like private functions and the ball- the ballet of chestnuts is in this account written by Burchard and it was fun I did laugh because I was look one of my one of my sources literally opened with the line quote generally speaking orgies do not leave archival evidence (laughs) (laughs) uh and I that titillated me maybe not archival evidence but they certainly leave forensic evidence of course Um, titillated so I'm gonna read a quote per Brouchard's account in this official uh, record. Quote, After dinner, the candelabras with with the burning candles were taken from the tables and placed on the floor, and chestnuts were strewn around, which the naked courtesans picked up, creeping on hands and knees between the chandeliers, while the Pope, Cesar, and his sister, Lucretia, looked on. So... Sisters here? Sisters here, you know. I mean, I've seen Borgia, so I know, yeah, but you're like, y'all. This, mm-hmm. 
That makes sense for me. You know, one moment you're just like watching a bunch of beautiful courtesans crawl around and they don't say, they just say pick up the chestnuts. I, when I first read it, read it as picking up the chestnuts with their mouth. I don't know why it didn't say that. I was picturing something inappropriate like that as well. Yeah. So if this is the way we're starting off, I'm like, there's only going down from here. Right. I'm like, they're not just like, like crawling around naked. Just like, oh, you dropped these chestnuts. (laughs) Uh, no, you're like, what? They're, they've got to be hungry hippoing them or something. <laughs> um, and then, you know, just one moment you're like, wow, look at these beautiful naked women picking up these chestnuts. And then the next moment you're like, oops, it's a full blown orgy. So another quote from Brichard's account is prizes were announced for those who could perform the act most often with the courtesans. You know what we mean when we say the act. Picking up chestnuts. Yeah, the act of uh, so, uh, prizes such as tunics of silk, shoes, uh, barrettes, and other things. So it's like in the report, it's like the Pope is like in egging this on. He's encouraging this. He's like everyone is like it becomes a weird. It becomes a comp, a competitive orgy, which sounds like the worst kind. <laughs> um. Oh my god! They were all. It was like who who could do it the most times with. All of the available court with the most. This is why everyone died of syphilis back then. Can I just say, like, y'all was going blind and crazy for a reason, right? Cass, Cass, they did it. Did wait, what now? They did it. They they finally did it. Greatest store in the universe. Who? Raygun. They did it. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh. Says who? Says Raygun. Oh. Okay, I'll buy it. You know what else you can buy? Clothing, home goods, and time travel supplies at raygunsite.com or at any of their six stores. Exactly. Use promo code SHARIALATER to save on your next order. That's raygunsite.com, promo code SHARIALATER, all one word. It is, it is reported that the Pope himself was the one distributing the prizes for the cardinals and the priests who, quote, from another source, ejaculated the most times. <laughs> so come get it, literally. <laughs> I don't I don't think it says anywhere that the Pope participated. Oh, he in, participated. But like, uh, there's no such thing as an innocent bystander in this situation. Uh, like you're Unless watching. Pope if you're watching, you're part of the you're part of the party. Um, but there's 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 <laughs> also your daughter's there and your son. But I don't think it says anywhere that like. <laughs> there was that the pope hands-on participated but you don't i don't we don't know part like pope alexander first of all the name he was a bourgeois bourgeois but i now can't say words <laughs> you're so titillated yeah uh he was a bourgeois Bour- why can't i say the name now borgia thank you i'm like adding a yes <laughs> Borgia. uh he was a borgia and like the Borgias are like the name that surname has become equated with debauchery, debauchery and corruption and scandal and they're like the Medici but like of sex yeah instead of banking I know so yeah so it's like Pope Alexander the sixth was one of the most notorious and controversial of all Renaissance popes 
probably partially because you know you can't you could take you could take the boy out of the borgia but you can't take the borgia out of the boy like it just became code for like nepotism and and, uh immorality yeah um he like we like i said pope be fucking because he has his he has two kids at this allegedly at this orgy with him yeah um and then he had another kid after well this several this other child might might we still don't know if this other child is his um from a mistress that he took after becoming pope Mm. so like he had uh he had like two really well-known mistresses his mistresses were like known affairs and they took place after he was ordained a cardinal and one after he was made pope so the first one the, the first mistress uh vanazo de catane i didn't look up pronunciations sorry um his first mistress he had four children with cesar and uh lucretia being like his favorites kind of of them and who allegedly organized and watched the orgy of and her also Bruchard's account who who probably was fucking each other too well and also cesar uh, had a crush on, like, lusted after Alexander VI's second mistress, because he eventually tires oh, of yeah. the first mistress, and his second mistress, uh, Julia Farnes, the, was, like, the object of his affection. She got married, and then she and her husband were moved into a palace that adjoined the papal residence to make Ooh. it easier for, like, little sneaky times for the Pope. Um, but while he tried to keep her more secret because he was the Pope at this point, and that kind of looks bad, yeah. uh, it got out and the, I don't know, Grecian tabloids of the time, like, refer to her as the Pope's whore and, like, the bride of, but, or as the bride of Christ, which I'm like, the two very different interpretations of what's going on. <laughs> but she also had a child. She had a daughter who we don't know if it was Pope Alexander the sixth daughter or her husband's daughter. But... One like historians don't disagree on the fact that he had mistresses and he had oh yeah and he had children many like he has a record of he is he holds the papal record of siring more children than any other pope so like that's you got congratulations you get a medal but historians disagree of course on what actually happened there's arguments about like the translation of. Brouchard's original Latin that he wrote in. Um, first of all, the banquet only really appears in Brouchard's writing. So they're like, mm. Catholic World Magazine holds the, like the Latin nude in Brouchard's account might be better translated as only partially clothed so that the dance was performed by and that the, the translation of who was there that they translated it to courtesans or honest prostitutes today actually said like ladies and gentlemen of the court is what they meant by like courtesans or the word that the, in Latin. Something tells me Catholic world org whatever is probably definitely going to take that stance. Yeah. There are historians though, who have also been like, yeah, there's an argument to be made for the, for like lost yeah. in translation from Latin to like modern understanding uh, and that it could be that when they say nude in Latin, they actually mean that the nudity wasn't absolute. They're referring to like, oh, like the party got a little looser. Like we took out our off our outer robes mm. and we're dancing in whatever we had on underneath. But we're not like our we're shifts. Not completely naked. Yeah. Um, other folks are like only our chestnuts are hanging out. Yeah. 
Well, other folks, other historians are like, there's no way that Lucretia, Lucretia, a newly married bride, was a willing spectator to such a salacious scene. And it's like, but she's a Borgia. Like, I don't want to say like all Borgias, not all Borgia, but all Borgia. If this were just a story written down, it could be like, oh yeah, maybe this thing happened or maybe it didn't. But with all the context around the Borgia family, and Pope Alexander Al- specifically. Pope Alexander VI alone. Cesare Borgia. Sorry, Cesare Borgia. He's they call him Cesare in the I mean show. that's probably more accurate. I'm not putting I'm pronouncing things more French than Italian. The first hand account of this one instance, cool, can't take it at face value. All of the evidence around it is like, okay, but we're gonna err on the side of horny. It's not a <laughs> I always err on the side of horny. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's like all of these other things were like, yes, circumstantial, but they make, they like make a compelling case and it's not a yeah. difficult leap to believe that this would happen. Yes. Um, honestly, I recommend reading the references section in the Wikipedia page because they, they read like a PR circus of all these different like historians and like publications trying to like counter claims. I've never had such a good time reading the references section of a Wikipedia page. Uh, But as I mentioned at the beginning, the account that I first heard of this is, is review is written about in a, in a review. This book reviewer calls this, uh, this account quote, some of the most gratuitous errors of fact and eccentricities of judgment. This reviewer has read or heard in quite some time. So the account that I, the, that, because to be fair, I haven't read this entire book, but it was a national bestseller. So he knows how to write it so that people are like, nom, 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 nom. Um, it's called A World Lit Only by Fire. It's by William Manchester. Uh, because we love a long title. It's A World <laughs> Lit Only by File, the mid- Fire, the Medieval Mind and the Renaissance Portrait of an Age. And it's pretty easy to read. Th- but like, I do love that they're like this section where he kind of just mentions in passing the Ballad of the Chestnuts is over the top. So I want to read the quote from Manchester so so you can compare even from like Brouchard to this, like the actual quote unquote official account to this, I believe, 1992 account of events. Quote, servants kept score of each man's orgasms for the pope greatly admired virility and measured a man's machismo by his ejaculative capacity after everyone is exhausted his holiness distributed prizes is a summary of that anecdote so like yeah he he pumped it up a little bit yeah but like you mentioned the event was portrayed in season three episode four of the showtime series the borgias uh, and in the show, the show created a version of the story, which I think uh, historians have been like, or this happened, where the the Borgias in in the episode, the Borgias themselves are not present. It was instead the party was used as a trap to blackmail the immoral cardinals in attendance. Yeah, when you said that they had like a, a purpose for it in the show, that's what it was. Yeah. Do you think that was... In your professional opinion, do you think that was like an a choice for the narrative of the episode 
Or do you think maybe that's what... There is, like, one historian's account. Because there are a couple historians who are like, there's no way that Lucretia would have been there. There's no way that the Pope would have been there. Like, maybe... What did you... How did you pronounce it? Cesare. Yeah, maybe Cesare was there. Maybe it was just, like, his thing. But to that, I'm like, why is it in the official account written by the master like did somebody just slip this in as it went to the printers because they do they are like is it written by Bruchard we don't know if this I could totally see it as there like yes debauchery and all that but there was just it was so political vindictive so much fucked up shit going on that any chance you could have to have like blackmail on someone like yes I could 100% see this as like collateral yeah because it's the the guest list was apparently like the pope's inner circle so it was like the party of the the party of the month no the party of the year thanks aaron carter um (laughs) so it's just i don't know it's just like the rest of the account is so like complimentary of like how the food was amazing like it was some of the best one of the best feasts all of this stuff um i mean it's no surprise that over the years like Vic, like vatican historians have have tried to uh disprove the account mm. but their theory is that it was fabricated by enemies of the church but it was written by the official master of ceremonies and either way it is titillating it is known as it's been called the most infamous fet in europe there's been a lot of fets it's a pretty fetty place Pretty fatty place. The fatty wop. Oh. I mean that that lands in so many ways. Yeah, that upsets me. Uh, <laughs> it, it's also like known as like one of the most scandalous events in papal history. Uh, it's gone. It's gone down in history as one of the most, as one of the raciest nights in history. I just love that we ate a lot of food, we drank a lot, and then the warm up to the orgy. Yeah. Uh, they had to hose that room <laughs> down. Thank God there were no black lights back then. Ooh. <laughs> Go in there now. Go in there now with a black light. See, Ooh. there's some like ancient semen on the walls. Uh, I just, yeah. It's like, I just have so many questions and there, of course there are no answers. Natalie, what are your questions? Just like, why was the foreplay a bunch of women crawling on the floor picking up chestnuts? Why were we throwing chestnuts at women? What um, time of year was it? Oh, I oh October. October I feel like 30th, that might have been like a fall thing. Throwing chestnuts at women? <laughs> no, but I mean like, a ch- I don't know. They had all like weird festivals and agriculture shit and they would throw it into like you know, uh, I mean, liturgical bullshit. And maybe it was like, oh, it's a fall festival. We just got a bunch of chestnuts. I mean, it's the day before Halloween and All Hallows was a sanctified church holiday at that time. So mm. it was a, a time of year that like everyone's kitchens were fully stocked from the harvest. And so everyone was just like, mm, yes, let's mm-hmm. gorge ourselves and let's let's gorge an orgy. A good old gorgeon orgy. A gorgy, if you will. Um, I just Googled, like, chestnuts in Catholic liturgy or history or whatever to see if something, like, would come up about the actual purpose of a chestnut, perhaps. 
But I found an article that said, was the banquet of chestnuts a pinnacle of religious hypocrisy or just one hell of a party? Yep, that's one of my sources. What a title, yes. From the Raven Report. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I want it to be true because it's a hoot nanny. So there's my, uh, my missed opportunity for us to have two golden goddesses of golden age warfare because I cracked under the pressure Ah! Yeah? You cracked. <laughs> uh, and instead just went for some Mediterranean adjacent hoot nanny that I've, you know, I've talked about it a lot. It we're, we're halfway through four season four. Like, yeah, you uh, promised this a long time ago, and I I mention it in an episode this season that I don't think will have aired at the time that this one is, but like. I, I owe it to the people. Also, I love how the, th- well, again, theme meant almost nothing with how <laughs> broad its parameters were. But I love when I think of like Golden Age of the Mediterranean, I think of, I think of Greece, right? Think you of think Greece. of the Golden Age of Athens. However, it connects to Greece. And instead of that, you went Catholic orgy. Yep. <laughs> and I love it so much. Yeah. I mean, definitely a golden age for papal orgies, so. Probably the goldenest age of that. Platinum age. When was, when was the last time you heard about a, a good, a good papal orgy? We don't They're talk really about really slipping. Them. They're slipping. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, are you doing this on purpose? No, I'm not. Really? Well, <laughs> they're slipping like you would on October 31st in the Apostolic Palace. The day after. And you wouldn't be slipping, you'd be sticking. It- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've made, oh, I've made nobody proud today. But you made a lot of people happy. If you want to have <laughs> one last drink, as I mentioned, this kind Greek man again, uh, <laughs> Mr. Galana. Oh no! I told him ages ago that at some point I was gonna do the ballad of the chestnuts or the banquet of the chestnuts. I always say ballad, but it's everything says ballet or banquet. I told him I was gonna do it, and he was like, "I want zero credit for this." The like amount with which you could tell he did not want to talk about it was very much. I don't think it's his fault that I know about it. I do not think. That good old Mr. Galanis read this anecdote to us. I believe it was uh, his his foil, if you will, uh, <laughs> his companion uh, in in teaching. They often taught the same classes. One would teach first semester of it, and one would teach the second semester. Uh, I believe it was Mr. Henneberry. So take a drink, take a drink, and uh, thank uh. Mr. Henneberry. <laughs> Or blame him. Whatever you want to do. Thank, blame, whatever. Uh, James Galanis is a fucking treasure. A treasure. Ugh. I just, I had heard so much about him. And then he came on our live episode to talk about the mummy of Naperville. And and to make fun of me, which I'm sure is part of what, how he won your heart. Obviously. But I just was not expecting, like, such a lovely man. He loves it. He loves this stuff. He loves talking about it. He and I were talking about mummies today. Do you not text your high school teachers? That's weird. (laughs) 
I, I text mean, at least four I do, of them. But only ever about mummies. I text four of them with fair regularity. Uh, I actually I do keep in contact with my art teacher from from my Catholic high school every mm-hmm. now and then, and like she's so cool, and she, I don't think she knows like to the extent of my atheism, but she knows I'm like she doesn't push or whatever. But every now and then she'd be like. Happy Holy Week or something. I'm like, oh, no, no, we're not. We're not observing right now. <laughs> the only Holy Week we observe is a Holy Week of papal orgies. Oh, uh, there's a lot of holes in that week. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I don't even after after all of after all of these euphemisms. Uh, I don't even want to tell you to go to our social media because there won't be photos. There will any... not be photos. This is the one time where we're like there will be no photos. Yeah, uh, a lot the... of black sensor bars <laughs> over every. There will be some visual aids. Lord <laughs> knows what of considering. It will be a picture of a chestnut. That's. <laughs> it <laughs> tune in more to find out about this chestnut uh, <laughs> where is it been where has Ooh. it been <laughs> oh, the stories this chestnut could tell <laughs> if these nuts could talk um these are all the 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 I, i'm just brainstorming episode name ideas i'm so sorry for everything that i've subjected to you to, but i love the i'm story. so happy right now <laughs> i love the story that Cass told uh, I love a team. I love a team fluid, badass oh. warrior warrior lady. No team fluid. No, stop! Stop! Not doing that on purpose. Yeah, but you're doing it. <laughs> go go look at at shared pod on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any questions, <laughs> corrections, or suggestions, or euphemisms that we made that we missed, uh, oh my god! Hey friends, email us. send us so many euphemisms. We'll we'll make a list and we can like shout out who gets the best one maybe we'll send you some stickers or some buttons do that if natalie won't let me post them it will at least make me smile <laughs> you can send you can dm those to us uh at shared pod on instagram and twitter or you can uh email Don't be them weird, though. at shared history podcast at gmail.com yeah please like please remind us and provide context uh <laughs> so that we're not like what is happening in <laughs> our cool. inbox uh that's shared history podcast at gmail.com. We're setting ourselves up for so much. Um, yep. Trouble. <laughs> we are two women on the internet asking people to send us <laughs> papal euphemisms. Um, you know what they say about big hats? Uh, <laughs> that <no>. Small chestnuts. <laughs> and on that note, share, share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.